0: I'm going to kick off just with the announcements right away, and then we'll get into some music. Um, That way we can jump into this sermon, because I have a lot to cover today. As you know, I like to take notes, and uh, what started out as a couple of simple pages turned into this very long history lesson. So you'll have to bear with me today. Um, Wednesday evening Bible study is going to go this week again. We will be in the fifth chapter of Matthew, so join us for that. If you can't join us here at church, um, be prepared to join us online. If you do join us here, uh, feel free to jump in and ask questions, do a little pre-reading. And if you're online, for those who are joining us this morning on the Facebook page, um, Carol will be monitoring the online site. So if you do have questions or comments, just write in the feed, you can comment, question, Um, whatever you'd like to do just keep it nice I guess and then we'll um, she'll respond to you or she can send questions up for the group that's here at church Um, funeral services for Miss Betty Wilson those those will be up in Virginia and Bobby's address is on the back of the bulletin Uh, if you are not here at church and you need the address feel free to call or call Pastor Jerry and we'll get that to you um We did Sanctity of Life as a topic and as the National uh, Day of Sanctity of Life, uh, not this past Friday, but the Friday before. And as I brought up, that Life Care Pregnancy Center that's up in uh, Carthage is um, in need of things. So what we are going to do is to put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, and we're going to collect some stuff and bring it up there to them that way we don't end up being one of those church groups that just says stuff and doesn't walk out that christian walk so that we're able to love on those young ladies young couples that go up there that are in need of just people loving them we're going to bring things So that they know that people in their community are there to support them. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. So these are items that are needed. And we don't have a drop dead date on this. We haven't thought it out that far. I don't think it really needs a lot of thinking uh, to just say, hey, we're going to bring stuff up. So we'll just have a table set aside in the fellowship hall. And just as a reminder, uh, the things they are looking for. Diapers. I'm assuming really small little infant diapers. Uh, Formula. So just powdered formula. Little baby clothes, baby wipes. And if you'd like to donate money, I'm going to keep this as simple as possible. If you're here, um, just note on the card that you want your money to go to the life care pregnancy center and it will be set aside. If you're not here, the giving is online. I believe you can make a note when you make that giving. So do that and just make a note on it so that we know where it's going to go we'll let this run for a couple weeks until we have a big box full of stuff and then we'll bring it up there to them and we'll let you know what date that is in case people want to come and join us uh lady circle will be the first tuesday uh in february and i will let that come out in the next because this will be this coming tuesday is the first Tuesday so that'll be here at the church men's group meets the first Monday of each month so that will not be tomorrow that will be actually no it is tomorrow tomorrow do you know are deacon's meeting tomorrow no so no meeting tomorrow for men uh prayer requests for this week we've still got a lot of people uh on there just for the funeral that's coming up for the Wilsons please uh keep them in mind uh loss of a loved one as always very tough read through the list pray over these people i won't go through the whole list but just keep them in uh prayer uh pastor jerry uh still not feeling great i spoke to him friday he is better but he is at this point where a lot of the sickness is gone but he's just got aches and pains and is tired and he says if he gets up and moves around he's just kind of got that malaise feeling he's Tiredness and can't get around well, so we'll just continue to keep him in prayer uh, as well. Anybody have anything else they want to add to prayer requests? I, uh, my friend at work, uh, her, died. Her, her she's uh, not able to go. Just, um, her name is Michelle She's in here.
1: She's in the last
0: okay, so we'll keep Michelle Yeshulis. Lift her up in prayers. They deal with the loss of a family member as well. Anybody else? How about praises? Anybody got anything exciting they want to talk about and thank God for this week? Thank God I'm <laughs> yeah. And we thank God that Robin is back. She does a lot for the church, in the church, around the church. Brian and I are trying to convince her to put stuff on the sign, but she won't, she won't do it. <laughs> um, because if you can't spread the gospel, spread corona right so probably very inappropriate but she won't put it on the sign for us Uh, well we have a lot to be thankful for where there's people coming to church in the midst of this we're trying to stay away from each other and stay healthy and stay clean Um, you know we had um, um, kathleen came in this week and cleaned the entire church with sanitary wipes the pulpit the microphones every book every seat has all been wiped down and she came in here and there was nobody here and spent hours here just cleaning everything just to make sure we're in an extremely clean environment so you know that's what service looks like she felt called by god to do something for her church body and she came in here and just and did it she executed and I, that it, we really need to be thankful for people like that in our church body that love us and want to serve us so that we're really thankful for her and that is her ministry so that, that's fantastic um, some birthdays this week so Patrick White's today then we have Alberta Nichols on the third and then uh, on, also on February 3rd She doesn't want to look forward, but it's this young lady, Caitlin, is 19, coming up on Tuesday. So she's got a big birthday. She'll be back up at school. So we're going to do her birthday today at home. But we're real thankful Caitlin was able to come home. We didn't know if there was going to be worship music this morning, so I called her yesterday and asked if she would come and do music for us and she got in her car and drove three and a half hours from school so we were thankful that she was she loves doing it but I know it's a long drive when you get studies to do so if you would and you can sit where you are if you're online and you're at home you have to sing with us so sing to yourself in your home so if you're here you have to stand up so now you have to stand up and we'll sing to you ready Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, God bless you, happy birthday to you.
1: Thanks, guys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She's so humble. All right, I think that's it for announcements uh, for this week. You want to come on up? Kathy's going to sing for us. So we're just going to do all three worship songs right in a row i'm going to go sit down just let this time be a time where you prepare your heart for hearing god's word and you let these songs lift up your prayers to god Uh, we want to honor him and glorify him and just let him move in our lives so we're looking forward to this some beautiful beautiful worship music
2: morning i'm nervous (laughs) all right um that's all I'm gonna do is C key first. C <laughs> key first, the key.
1: Good morning guys You guys can sing, it's a lot more common. is in Jesus Thank God that yesterday's gone All my sins are forgiven I've been washed by the blood I've been washed by the blood
0: All right, well good morning, one more time. And not to pardon me, just for one second. I'm going to try to get this thing to work. grab that before we started a lot going on good morning again welcome to deep creek baptist church appreciate everybody doing the music this morning kathy that's beautiful absolutely beautiful love how you play and how you sing it's such a gift to us jerry says it um I'll just repeat, we got a lot of talented people here that serve, especially coming up and and doing music for us. So thank you so very much for what you do, and thank you to Caitlin and Sadie, who on the fly got a couple of songs together as well. We just appreciate it very much here at the church. Uh, This morning, I'd like to talk to you about Christianity and government and where we stand as a church and as believers in the face of government when we don't necessarily agree. This may be a common topic in homes, but I doubt that there are many churches who are going to tackle it the way that I'm going to tackle it this morning, probably because in most cases, I won't say probably, I will just say because in most cases, people don't want to tackle this subject because it offends people, Or they feel like it encroaches on some sort of line where the church and government should not be intertwined. Well, I don't know about you believers, but I vote. And I also served the government for many years and still do. We have a right as believers, as countrymen, as Americans, to have an opinion in our government. Based on our faith. Amen? Period. We will not be quelled, we will not be shut up because we're Christians. So what I want to talk about specifically is our current political climate in light of Romans chapter 13. And specifically how that deals with how submission to authority or to authorities affects our walk as believers. And how we respond to the Apostle Paul in the way that he wrote chapter 13. How it is applicable to our lives, to our walk. To the way we respond publicly privately and in the church and i'm going to start what's with, with what is significant about this day so i like doing this uh for those of you who are early risers i am i am the one that's up in the morning there's nobody up except me and the dog well both the dogs and uh i read in the morning so that's where i get a lot of my quiet time where i read My Bible, or I do studies. uh, You know, catch up. I don't really watch much news anymore. But if there is a little bit of news that pops up, I'll try not to follow that down a rabbit hole. But one of the things I've gotten the habit of doing is finding out on the day that I wake up is I'll check what is. This day in history, American history, world history, or even military history, and see what is significant about it. Because I just think it's neat. And every once in a while, I can cruise to work, or if I'm working with students, uh, I can say, Hey, did you know that on this day in 14, whatever, this happened? And of course, especially if they're really young, they kind of look at me like, Yeah, yeah, whatever. But this day, particularly, you know, uh, Pastor Jerry calls me and says, Man, I'm not feeling all that good. Can you fill in at the pulpit on Sunday? My response, of course, is yes, I would love to, but you gave me a day to figure out what to talk about. Well, I just kind of revert back to what is easy for me, and that's pull up the old Google machine and look at what's significant about today, which is January 31st you're going to find something that's applicable to your life. Somebody did something in history that's applicable today. Well, oddly enough, what happened today in world history really does tie in to what's going on in American current history right now. And I think you might enjoy walking down this road with me. So if you will, pray with me, uh, mostly so that I don't stumble over myself, and then also that Uh, We just allow the Holy Spirit to uh, speak to us through this message that we would get something out of it that would be applicable to our lives and to our walk as Christians. So pray with me if you will. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this church and this church body. We thank you for people who are willing to come in during the week and serve us, Lord, serving you. Nobody's looking, and they are serving nobody's looking and they are loving nobody is looking and they are walking out the gospel we thank you for those who serve in the music here we'd ask uh, you know for benny and karen for uh, mercy for them for benny that you just help keep him um safe from sickness cure his body we thank you for uh, Kathy, for Sadie, for Caitlin for coming in this morning with short notice music requests. Um, they all love serving this church and serving you, Lord, and we just thank you for them. We ask that you would just lift them up, Lord, to fill their hearts with your spirit and touch their lives, give them a desire to continue to serve, that you would fill us all with that desire, Lord. Lord, we also ask... That this message touches us in a way that when we leave here today, or if you're following, the people that are following us online, Lord, that it would give them some conviction as citizens of this great nation that are also believers in you. That they would awaken and work out the gospel in ways that the people to their left and their right would see that they are believers and we would have an impact on the community. Father, again, we thank you for who you are. And we ask that you bless this time together in the name of our most righteous and holy, precious Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, so, January 31st. So, doesn't seem like a very special day today. Especially if you are uh, woke up and checked the weather. As I said earlier, it's like this is, it doesn't get much crappier than this. But... Ironically, it's a really kind of a cool day in history. Um, British history. Anybody here interested in British history? Me neither. We already took care of that a number of years ago, right? We don't have to worry about British history anymore. Um, but on this day, in 1606, British provocateur Guy Fox of the gunpowder plot conspirators who sought to blow up the Parliament and assassinate King James I the year prior, was executed in London. He was found hiding in the basement of Parliament with a ton of gunpowder a ton an actual ton 36 barrels of gunpowder in 1606 he snuck into the basement of parliament that would have been pretty money if you know anything about gunpowder that would have been pretty monumental so why guy fox this doesn't seem like a, a very interesting subject for us here in uh piners north carolina but if you're a kid growing up in school in England they learn about this guy he's a really important part of British history this is something that every school kid over there is going to learn they're also going to exercise each year a holiday in his name this is a, a pretty big deal what's it got to do with us though if you were listening carefully to my introduction the king he was trying to assassinate is King James the first that name rings a bell and i won't give it away if you haven't picked up on it yet but to this day they celebrate this day by burning effigies. so you talk about burning an effigy they basically make like a little pretend guy fox guy they hold them up on sticks and they actually light them on fire like a big victory dance they have fireworks they put on this big show like yeah they the the government won. We got rid of Guy Fox. This guy was going to ruin the whole parliament and kill the king, and we won. Well, I don't know. There's another twist to the story. See, James I actually went to England from Scotland. He was previously known as James IV. So he was the fourth James to serve as the king of Scotland. He was the first James to serve as the king of England. If you know anything about that history of Great Britain, there's a lot of kind of switching of royalty around. There was a lot of strife, and there were royals who would breed with royals so that they could keep a royal line going, and they don't want any of us common folks tainting that that line. Okay, so James is actually the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, there's actually a great movie about her that's available online, <laughs> excuse me, um, pretty controversial figure in Scotland, part of the royal line, so he's a really important guy, people were looking forward to this boy growing up and becoming the king of Scotland and moving on to be king of England, so he had just come to England and assumed the crown, he was a Presbyterian. Probably not by faith, probably more by birthright, right? So there were a lot of Presbyterians in Scotland. It's kind of the big Protestant religion that's up there, although there are Catholics as well. Pro, uh, Presbyterianism is kind of the overwhelming Protestant faith, especially at the time. Now, of course, we had. Uh, just had a lot of uh, strife within the church, so the Catholic Church is kind of being pushed back and pushed back uh, because we had the Reformation going on. We had a lot of people that were turning to Presbyterianism. It's kind of an important note. Um, so there was definite strife there between the Catholics and the Protestants, and more rightly, the Catholics. In England, because of the Church of England and the new Presbyterian king, were trying to push them down and push them out and keep them away. It was more because of the theocracy or the king's faith than it had anything to do with the Catholic faith. Because at this point in time, the Catholics with their bishops wanted more kind of play in the government. And of course, the kings, they don't want anything to do with that. They want to be in charge of the church. And the government, that way they can be in charge of also receiving all the tithes and the alms from the people. So it's intrinsically tied together. So it just happens to be that the king at this time is Protestant. So England has celebrated this victory of the English Parliament, and they lure the people in. They educate people for, I mean, this has been you know years. They're still doing it today. It's over 400 years. They're really... Teaching the kids, look! Look what your government did for you. We protected the parliament and the government and the king. But there's a little bit of evidence that this might have been an inside job. And I want you to pay attention. <clears throat> Excuse me. You might pick up on some on on some subtle uh, hints that kind of parallel what's going on in in politics right now in american history so there's a little bit of evidence that this might have been an inside job so think about what we talked about this guy was found in the basement of parliament so what does parliament look like for us looks like congress right so we're a parliamentary system kind of the way they're set up they have this parliament that gets together and argues we have the congress that gets together and argues so there's this evidence, and there's some, some historians that believe that the disjointed Catholic church that was there was not unified necessarily to put this group together. So what Guy Fox was, is he was a, a part of a group of Catholics who disliked the king, disliked the parliament, and disliked the way they were treating the Catholic church. They're going to go in there and destroy government. That way maybe we'll get a new king and a new parliament, and, and Catholics that live there will all be safe. But what some of these speculators think is that how, does, how do they get over a ton of gunpowder into Parliament without anybody seeing it? So has anybody ever seen one of those barrels of gunpowder before? Like a 50-gallon like a drum? I mean, these things are, are huge. So they got 36 barrels of gunpowder in in the middle of the night without anybody seeing it? like how many wagons 36 barrels it would have taken a number of grown men hours to bring these things to the parliament carry them into the basement line them all up wire them together have them ready to light to explode. this is like how does this happen without anybody knowing about it really so just a bunch of ragtag guys were at church one day and they're like "Hey, I got a good idea we should go blow up the parliament Oh, I got some gunpowder at my house. How much do you have? Man, I got a ton. Yeah, but how much do you have? No, it's a ton, really, a whole ton, 36 barrels. We'll just throw it in the back of my Peugeot, and we'll bring it over there. Probably pretty unrealistic. So what they think is maybe it was a plot by a guy named Robert Cecil. So Robert Cecil, along with King James... I know a lot of people think highly of King James. I'm going to start making you think some bad things about him here. Devised a plot in order to pass repressive political measures and shore up support with the king who had just recently arrived. So think about this. An attack on the highest place in the land, devised by the government, in order to bolster support of the people, Because they quelled the plot. Starting to see some parallels here between what may or may not be going on in American uh, history. It's pretty crazy. Nobody has ever, I couldn't find anything that said anybody knows 100% or not whether these guys actually devised the plot and were literally found out. But it makes more sense that it was some sort of inside job that these guys left Guy Fox there essentially as a fall guy and that they were told, possibly, this guy, uh, Robert Cecil, that uh, there would be no charges brought against them. Well, they ended up killing Guy Fox. They didn't actually kill him. They were going to hang him and he went and jumped off from the building and broke his neck and killed himself. So I guess he died by their hand anyway. So, why is this important on this day? Well, it lends us to a little bit of history about what goes on with governments and how they interact with people and how there's always some little conspiracy that'll stir the people. Right or wrong, I'm sure the people of England were like us back then. They waited for the newspapers to come out. So what's important about King James I? Well, some of you are holding a King James Bible in your hands right now. King James I was the guy who... Set on making the new Bible, and uh, but why, why create a new Bible? Well, just think about what we were just talking about. I mean James wanted absolute power. he wanted people to believe in the government and give to the church, which is tied to the government and not to a church not tied to the government. Um, Well, Catholics weren't the only ones targeting the the king at the time. Uh, There were Protestants that were also not very well behaved, if you will. And the Bibles that they were all reading out of were the Tyndale and the Geneva Bibles at the time. And they were hugely popular in the wake of the Reformation. So why weren't they good enough? I mean, these were good. the Geneva Bible is a fantastic Bible. If you talk about uh, the first settlers coming over to the United States, it was not the King James. Know, contrary to some people's beliefs, the King James did not minister to first Americans. It was the Geneva Bible, period. There's no argument about that. It's older, and it was coming over here before the King James was by a long time. So the Geneva Bible, which is the most popular Bible in the world at the time, in English, it's written about 1560. I'm going to give you a list of translators, no reason to write this down, but Walter Whittingham, Miles Coverdale, Christopher Goodman, Anthony Bilby, Thomas Sampson, William Cole, Thomas Greshup, and John Knox. But in the marginal notes is a slightly famous guy who you may have heard from before, John Calvin. So John Calvin is like, this is great, we've made this, but people need to know what this means. So if you have a study Bible like mine, uh, and this is a a Ryrie NASB Bible, all the way down at the bottom is a big pile of notes, there's reference numbers in it everywhere, what he wanted to do is make sure that as people read their Bible in English, they were able to look and do hermeneutical studies, find out what other things were going on, realize what text means. So they're able to study from their Bible. But one of the things that's going on is there's also widespread persecution of Protestants in Europe as well. So they were forced to retreat to Geneva and utilize the Geneva Press. They created about 200 copies of this Bible and uh, the copies were publicized eventually in the Netherlands, Scotland, America, England and revisions were made in 1575 and then in 1599. And much of the translation relied on William Tyndale and Miles Coverdale's English versions. And that Bible was the first Old Testament to completely be taken from the Greek Septuagint and Hebrew. This is important, uh, and I'll talk about this in a second. And because of its reliability, it was the main book relied upon by Protestants, Puritans, who came here and calvinists so really important to understand um i want you to remember that tyndale's bible it was a textual masterpiece of its time it used the best manuscripts they had possible now we're at a point now because of the dead sea scrolls we have way better manuscripts but if you look at it then that was the best thing running but what happened to william tyndale he wrote the best copy best copy of the english bible at the time what the church do to him They excommunicated him, and then they executed him for writing in English. Why? Because the church and the government don't want the people knowing too much because they're going to realize something. They're going to realize that people can see that the church and the government don't have divine, absolute rule over them. This is really important. Protestants are starting to realize that it's God who has absolute rule over their lives and their hearts. So in 1604 at the Hampton Court, um, you're going to see King James and a bunch of clergy get together and they decide to write a new English version of the Bible. Um, it just And they want to get rid of the Geneva Bible. So this is five years after the latest, best English version of the Bible ever written is written. They decide, we're going to write the King James. Interesting enough, but Why? In the wake of the Reformation, all these great marginal notes in the Geneva Bible, it's refuting two things. One, I talked about the government. It also refuted the Catholic Church. So other countries don't want this as well. Why? Because a bunch of the other countries that were tied to the Catholic Church don't want a Bible with John Calvin's notes in it that say, hey, by the way, the Pope and the bishops, they're not really in charge. God's in charge. We don't want that because they were theocracies you know the king was catholic or protestant and they were in charge we don't want people thinking for themselves so the king james virgin it eliminated all the margin notes the original one and it translated the old testament from previous english translations I don't know why they had the Greek Septuagint and Hebrew writings available, but they decided. I know there's some people that are King James only, and there's been a lot of lies passed down about why the King James is the best Bible. The King James, even when it was originally created, borrowed from English writers that didn't have the best translations out there. We have the best now, but the King James it, it was not relied upon uh, textually as the best back then. King James and the Church of England wanted only this Bible to be used. It was the King James Bible they were going to start printing and pushing out anywhere. And it would cause even more strife between the church and the monarchy because Protestants became religiously oppressed because they didn't want to use this book. They already had a good book that they were using. So Protestants that were oppressed in that area, they would run to the Netherlands and some to North America. Now we know in that period in the 1600s, we have people pouring into the United States. Pouring in. Now some people would think they're just coming here to conquer native lands and take everything. I don't understand how we screw this up. Most of us had relatives that came from that part of the world that were oppressed they were being run out of their land, burned and killed by an evil government. They were coming here because there was nowhere else to go. How do you I save my wife and kids? I spend everything I have, I get on a boat, and I go to this new land where I can move and put my stake in an acre of land and have a garden and a cow. They weren't coming here to take over. The political side of it's separate. Remember, these people were oppressed. And they were being killed and run out by a king and his government. That's the truth. That's the truth. We need to stop with all the conjecture about all the other stuff that happened. I'll leave that at that. So anyway, these they're oppressed and they're running away. This part of the... Um, Reformation would last till about 1648. We're going to still see people pouring in because now we have people writing home and moving back and forth. Uh, but otherwise, about 1648, we're going to see some peace start to happen. Big peace treaties signed at Westphalia. And... Uh, The end of the reign of what we call the Roman Empire at the time. Remember, the Roman Empire was perpetuated through the Catholic Church, the type of government that was set up. With this treaty, we're going to see a little bit more peace in the church. Kind of. It gets a little bit better. But one of the things that was a problem is this translation. It backfires on them. So, they write it in this English that is amazing. So, has anybody here ever read a real King James? (laughs) Like, it's hard to really... Read it. It doesn't because that's not the way we speak. It's and we make fun of it having these and those. But really, if you read a real King James, like even the way the letters are written is, it's not the English that we speak today. But for them, it was this smooth flow. You can remember this time in the 1600s. This was the Shakespeare era. Right? Everything was big shows and great books and great writing. English literature was huge. The people really loved this idea of this flowy Bible that met our language style and we could read it and it would be this articulate picture. They loved it. Um and they'd get the King James Version and read it across all kinds of denominations. It was becoming huge. But even without the marginal notes people would find themselves questioning the divine power of the government and the church because they're reading the Bible, because they like this new version. As a matter of fact, it becomes so popular, it's the number one seller in the most read book on the planet, even until today. I think maybe the New International Version a couple years ago might have had more production at some point, but the King James Version for 400 years is... Essentially, 350 years, is essentially the number one produced book on the planet and the number one sold book in history. Amazing that this version written by the king, probably not out of the best uh, uh, thoughts for his people, God uses that book to reach more people than anything else. God uses everything for good. Amen? Um, so, even with the peace treaty signed, though I talked to you about this Westphalia tr- Treaty, um, English and Scottish monarchs and believers are still having all this strife. And there's a group in Scotland called the Covenanters. <clears throat> and this is pretty interesting. I'll get to this kind of at the end. Uh, there's some tie into this. But the Covenanters of Scotland, they continue to push against the monarchy and uh, the government and the crown for overstepping and manipulation in the church. And they were known for their opposition against, in Scotland, what was called the Stuart Kings. And the Stuart Kings were a bunch of kind of kinship people that ran the government like lords. And uh, they didn't really like uh, the way that the Presbyterian church was learning and reading on their own and becoming good, faithful people and not wanting to send all their tithes to the government in the form of taxes. So they were creating all this interference. And the Covenanters and the church signed the, uh, the church signed this covenant basically saying this is who we're going to be as a church we don't want to deal with your overreaching government and they signed this signed proclamation they sent it all throughout scotland and it stated their opposition a lot of blood is going to get spilled in scotland after this time people are literally being killed by soldiers from England and scotland to hold people down because of their religious beliefs i know that people say people won't come into your church and close it down or they won't kill you for your beliefs but we say 400 years is a long time ago but in the grand scheme of things this isn't really that long ago I mean, these were educated people with some sorts of technology to keep them clean and healthy. And they were thinkers and writers and believers. And people are going into churches and burning them and killing people because they were believing Christians great deal of blood is spilled lots of people put in prison Uh, lots of torture they would take pastors out that were preaching and they would just torture them and then King Charles I would introduce a book of common prayer and basically stick it in all the churches and say this is the book that you're going to read only in your church and the Presbyterians are like no we're not going to do this we're not going to allow you to bolster support for the crown through this little book so he called the lack of support treason And now citizens could only attend churches that were approved by the crown, and ministers were just tortured and killed. So this persecution gets even worse under the next Charles, Charles II. Um, And all these skirmishes between the Scottish believers and the government troops uh, would just continue to get worse, and they hired a bunch of Highlanders. and Everybody has this great view of like the Highlanders. Like you watch the movie, like a bunch of dudes in kilts with long hair and blue on their face and, and uh, sabers or uh, swords would come out of the hills and these big battles. The, the British were brilliant. They go in there and they find all these warriors and they're like, hey, see all those people in the lowlands? I need you to go kill them. You can have all their stuff. And they did. They basically hired them and paid them to go get their stuff and let them keep it um that was in about 1678 in 1681 a scottish covenanter by the name of donald cargill who was a protestant minister and educated at the university of aberdeen and saint andrews was martyred by hanging in edinburgh scotland a fervent believer who preached christ and christ alone would never be swayed by the government And his sermons are remembered as calling on the supremacy and sovereignty of Jesus Christ. A deliberate and necessary opposition to the crown. You see here, I'm painting out a picture for you of how people stood against their government for their faith. This isn't new. We have 400 years of history of this. And these people are killed for it. They're not told you're going to get a $5,000 fine a day like some of the churches now in the midst of the coronavirus. The troops would go in and kill people. Imagine. Have the comparison of this when we talk about how bad we've got it. We don't have it bad. We're doing pretty good. Um, on a day of Thanksgiving to King Charles, Donald Cargill was quoted from the pulpit as saying this we are not come here to keep this day upon the account for which others keep it we thought once to have blessed the day wherein the king came home again but now we think we shall have reason to curse it and if any of you come here in order to the solemnizing of this day we desire you to remove this is on 1 October 1662 so he basically said if you came here to celebrate King Charles, get out of my church. We're here to preach Jesus. Get out. Can you imagine going to church and your, and your pastor being like, hey, if you're here to support the crown, beat it. Pretty interesting. So he was wounded in the battle at Bothwell Bridge in 1679, retreated to the Netherlands, came back a year later, and later penned what was called the Queen's Queensferry paper. This is going to be the end for him, a proclamation of religious freedom, self-defense, and lack of allegiance to the king. And in June 1680, as part of one of his sermons, he included this pronouncement. (coughs) Excuse me. I, being a minister of Jesus Christ and having authority and power from him, do in his name and by his spirit excommunicate and cast out of the true church and deliver up to Satan, James. Duke of Monmouth for coming into Scotland at his father's unjust command and leading armies against the Lord's people who are constrained to rise being killed in and for the worshipping of the true God and for refusing that morning and cessation of arms at Bothwell Bridge for hearing and redressing their injuries, wrongs, and oppressions. Can you imagine if we did that from the pulpit to our president today what would happen? I, I mean... We may or may not have a president sitting who calls himself a Catholic. Can you imagine if somebody from the Catholic Church stood at the pulpit on a Sunday morning and said, I excommunicate you from the church. You were sent here by Satan. I'm delivering you to him. I don't know how that would work for them, but I got a feeling there would be a lot of upheaval of the news and politics today. That's exactly what this guy said news is going to travel pretty fast because they killed donald cargill the next year they hung him by the neck until he was dead in edinburgh so what do we do when the government's oppressing us or opposing us as christians are we really called to be blindly obedient do we just follow what the government says this is why i said romans 13 is the basis for this so I, would just, I just want to read seven verses out of Romans 13, just seven verses. So if you're there, because uh, you were listening earlier, you're already there. If you're not there, turn there real quick, because it's important to hear these words, but then it's more important to get them in context. So Romans 13, starting in verse 1, I apologize if you have a different version. Like I said, I'm in the NASB this morning. I usually do the ESV, but this was important to me. Starting in verse 1, it says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you, uh, to you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscious sake, for because of this you are also to pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to the very thing. Render to all what is due them tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So lot being said. A lot being said about fear and honor and obeying the government and paying your taxes. excuse me this is parallel to another verse in the Bible if you ever read out of Peter in 1 Peter, Peter is going to make a statement basically says subject yourself for the Lord's sake to which authorities Anybody? every authority Ooh, this makes it tough here so Paul is saying everyone submit to authority and Peter is saying submit to every authority. So that's everyone to every authority. I mean, it seems like kind of a blanket statement. These are often used to crush dissent inside of the church. Church leaders will use these in unhealthy churches to say, I'm your pastor. I'm your elder. I've been here longer. I'm older. You need to listen. I'm in charge. God sent me to be in charge. It's incorrect. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And then also some churches who are pacifists will say that we just subject to the government and all they do. Getting this right is pretty important though. It is important in light of a leader who some self-proclaimed evangelical Christians claim was divinely appointed and is a proxy savior of the American church I don't know if that rings a bell to anybody and a new leader who is unapologetic supporter of sodomy and the murder of children in the womb what do we do then? We have some people who think they're God. Church people think they're God, divinely appointed, like none of them are, just one. And then we've got one who says they're a believer. Who almost everything that goes on in their life is absolutely contrary to the gospel. Where do we fit? Well, a couple of things here. Paul he wrote his statements here in Romans thirteen after escaping a strongman city governor, who was trying to arrest him. So Paul ran away. He concealed himself in a wicker basket and got lowered out through the window and lowered down a city wall. You remember this story? So Paul's breaking the law. He's running away. He doesn't sound like he's subject to authority. And Peter, he wrote his after escaping jail where he'd been imprisoned for breaking the law hold on a second. That's pretty hypocritical. Peter, Paul, fathers of the church, are you telling me you guys get to sin and break the law and not obey authority, but then you get to write in this holy book that I can't do it? So where's the mix-up? What are we missing? I mean, Peter says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him. To punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. So are they hypocrites? Do as I say, not as I do? Was the Bible really penned as a way to just keep people subject to the government? Subject the masses? I read the Bible. I heard this recently. Uh, uh, I was at work, a friend of mine. The Bible is just written to keep people at bay, keep the masses silent. And I'm like, you apparently haven't read the book. (laughs) Eleven, ten of the original twelve disciples were killed, executed for breaking the law, sharing the gospel against the government. The key to these verses, is an exegetical or exegetical study of the word submit. See, I love looking at the original language because it really gives us the answer to these questions. And when somebody just says, oh, submit, look, it says submit. Well, I would encourage you, theologian, because we're all theologians, because when we're Christians, we love our God. And we love our God, we listen to our God. And how do we listen to our God? We read the book. And when we read the book, we read it the best way that we possibly can. We read it with a concordance. We read it with a lexicon. We read it as deeply and as intimately as possible so we know what God is saying to us. Why isn't it that simple? Because the people who don't love God, they won't look. They don't care. But us, we love God. We care. He's our our Savior. So we're going to look and we're going to dig in. So what is this word submit? Well, the word submit in Peter and Paul's statements it's rightly translated from the Greek word "hupotasso." Hupotasso. It's a, it's a two words put together, "hupo" and "tasso," which is more about arranging things properly or placing them in a rank and file order. It's more about that than submitting blindly to authority. This is really important to understand because Paul is saying there's an order to things that God put <coughs> in order. Conversely, the word that people would think of as submit is another word. It's hupak uo, hupak uo, so hupa, the first word, kuo, k-o-o, space o. That's better translated as obedience to an authority. We find this word in Ephesians 5, if you've ever done a marriage study, a man... Right? And a woman who are husband and wife submit themselves to one another. And the church submits itself to Christ. This is more about physical submission to what God has for us than the other word. See, that word submit, hubak uo, is used 21 times in the New Testament. And is always used in the context of something like children to parents, wives to husbands, us to God, slaves to masters. That's what that word is used for. And remember, submission and obedience are two different things. Right? You can be obedient to somebody and not submit to them. You can submit to them but not be obedient to them. They are, these are two different defined words. You see, Paul and Peter believed governing authorities were necessary. We, of course, see that with complete anarchy, you're just going to have rampant crime everywhere, the complete lack of rule of law. There needs to be a way to maintain a semblance of balance. And they understood this, right? But man's law, man's law cannot magnetize our moral compass. Man's law cannot magnetize our moral compass. It's only God that magnetizes our moral compass because he is the moral law giver. Slavery, segregation, apartheid, and the Holocaust are all modern examples of things that were legal. Think about that for a second. Government authorities said slavery, segregation, apartheid, and the Holocaust, those are just some examples, are legal. Our government says killing babies is legal. It doesn't make it right, they just say it's legal. Ironically, it's been the church that's led the way out of most of those former things, abolishing the world's view of things like slavery and apartheid and segregation. It's the church that has led the way on most of these. People forget that and they twist history. Remember, prior to the Civil War, it was overwhelmingly white men who were ministers of the church that were telling people that slavery was wrong. I know people hate hearing that history. But we're not called to be radical revolutionists either. We're called to stand up for the truth, the gospel, the word of God. And if laws are unjust or ungodly, we're called to protest them, to stand against them. Although this is what Paul is saying in this. When you stand against that authority, it's the government who holds the sword. So guess what? I'm just letting you know. If that if they say this is the law and you stand against it righteously, what do you need to be prepared to do? Yeah, maybe get arrested, excommunicated, killed, kicked out, whatever that looks like. He's, Paul's saying be prepared. Jesus already said they were going to hate you. Paul's like, look, I'm telling you, it's the law. If it's unrighteous and you break it, You're going to pay the price for it, right? Those who stand firm on Romans 13 and use it as some sort of call for pacifism in the church, they've never read Acts 5. There's your homework for the day. Read Acts 5. Why? The apostles were jailed with hands laid on them. I like the way the Bible says that. They laid hands on them. If you send a bunch of authorities to arrest a bunch of dudes, and they say, hey, we laid hands on them. That sounds the way a police officer writes a report. When he just got done whooping up on somebody, right? I had to lay hands on him. So they basically riled these guys up and chucked them in jail. For their blatant disregard for the law, the ungodly law that told them they couldn't preach Christ... They were out there preaching Christ, serving, healing, and ministering to the needy. If you remember where they were, they were on Solomon's portico. They were on the porch outside of the temple. right? Oddly enough, this is right before uh, Peter preaches a sermon and basically stands in front of all the religious and is like, you're all sinners. You've all forgotten who your fathers were. You denied and killed the Christ. You're all going to hell. That was against the law. What did they do to Peter? Or excuse me, to Stephen? They stoned him to death for it. We need to be prepared to pay the price. He's the first martyr of the church after Christ was killed. How then shall we act in light of the government and authorities standing firm against the church? It's as simple as turning back to Romans 12. So in Romans 12, and because of time, I won't read through the entire chapter, but I'm going to give you a little cliff note explanation of how Romans 12 works out. See, it's easy to turn to Romans 13 and just say, look, submit to the authorities. But what did Paul say right before that? This is kind of important stuff hermeneutics, reading the Bible in light of the Bible. Not reading the Bible in light of my opinion, reading the Bible in light of my political affiliation, reading the Bible in light of my personal feelings, reading the Bible in light of my weird beliefs. It, it, it doesn't matter. We read the Bible in light of the Bible. That's what matters. It matters what God said, not what man said. So we turn back to Romans 12. And when we take a look at it, we get some ideas about how we should act prior to these governing authorities and getting a lesson from Paul. So in verse 1 through 3, we have this idea where Paul is telling us to be godly and righteous. Don't conform to social norms. Well, that's a pretty big one right there, right? Conforming to social norms. Well, if the government's got a bunch of unrighteous, ungodly, sinful things going on, do we just say, I'll fall in Lock and step, get in the line, and commit those sins against God, against the Bible, against the all-holy creator of the universe because the government said it was okay? Nope. Paul is saying be godly, be righteous, and don't conform to the social norms. We rely on this book for our truth and this book alone. Now, I would say our Constitution is a well-written document, but I also say it gives space for people to do some things that are ungodly. So this is what we turn back to every time. That includes prophets, politicians, popes, church leaders. If it's out of line with this book, it's just out of line. If you're sitting in a church and the person at the pulpit is out of line, you shouldn't be sitting there. Or the church should be hiring somebody else. Period. We don't sit in subjection under leaders who are ungodly. That's not what we're called to do. Paul is clear here. We are not conforming to the world. The people who preach something other than this book are of the world, period. We get through into verses 3 through 8, and we all play a role in the body. We've all got a job. Everybody here has a role that they play. And that, that role will change through the season. Sometimes you're the person at the door shaking hands. Sometimes you're the person doing video and making sure the microphones work and running men in the church and sometimes you're putting the sign together and making sure there's a bulletin available and sometimes you're cleaning the seats sometimes you're just out loving on people and sometimes you're at home with your family sometimes for years because people there need love there's always a role in the body and everybody has a role that they play here and some are going to serve tables and love each other with passion inside the walls of the homes and some will preach some will teach some will serve the community some will stand firm and protect the church by standing against an oppressive government it must happen as a man in the church it would be weak need of me, sissified, skinny-jean-wearing, top-knot if I stood here in the church and watched government authorities come in and drag our women and children away. It won't happen. So for you weak men in the church, if you were to tune in today, if you're not willing, the wise words of Donald Cargill, get out. We have more important things to get to than what the government authorities believe or teach or preach or put out on the news. We got God's work to do. He sent us here and saved us to reach each other for the gospel. There are people in our community that are dying because they haven't heard it. We do this because all will be unified in Christ. Verses 9 through 13, we are not hypocrites. We are diligent We are diligent. We should be learning the Word of God like scholars all the time so that we're diligent in the Word and so that we are diligent in our faith, never looking for an escape route through some sort of weird magic. We know that we are probably going to have hard times ahead and we are going to dig in on this Word. We are going to learn it. We are going to write it on our hearts and we are going to love one another until God calls us home in an effort to be better witnesses and apologists of the faith we should continue to serve and pray and support the work of the saints learn in the church love in the church lend to the church so that some may leave the church on a mission and many can lean on the church like a family the five L's of church this is my crowning moment Last night I was like, ooh, look, there's five L's in this sentence. We'll call it the five L's of the church. Learn, love, lend, leave, lean. Learn in the church, love in the church, lend to the church, so some can leave the church on mission, so that many can come lean on the church like family. Verses 14 to 21 Is basically just the call of a good citizen. I'll leave it there. 14 is we'll bless and pray for our leaders who persecute the church. That's what we do. You can disagree with your president, your governor, your senator. It doesn't matter. We bless and pray for them. I saw a meme online the other day, and they're like, evangelicals sure shut up and stop praying for their president now that it's not Donald Trump. (laughs) come on man if you got your mom, is here, got nothing nice to say don't say anything at all hey come on stupid hey it's 1995 Linden Road Pinehurst North Carolina since the new president has been in every Sunday from this pulpit somebody has stood here and prayed for the new president if that's your attack on the church non-believer you need to do better You know the reason you probably don't know anybody's praying for the new president, even though they disagree? Because you don't go to church. Why don't you try showing up? Maybe you'll find out there's some truth to this thing. I invite you. We would love to see your soul be saved and healed by Jesus. Your conjecture is weak. In 16, we see we'll always work for the glory of our God and never for our own championship. What we're doing here isn't about us. Winning a political argument isn't about us. Winning a theological argument isn't about us. We always do it for the glory of God. It'll always be about Jesus. It'll always give him glory. Anytime we push against any sort of authority. It should always be because we are doing something to make the body of Christ better because of the glory of God. Protecting people, protecting what we think. Remember, we're not called to fight against somebody because they hate us because we're Christians. That's different. Being a martyr for the faith, that's the example. If they come here to tell us they're going to kill us because we love Jesus... Sorry, we're all going to die today. Why? Because our martyrdom is what we're called to. Take me. You want to send me to glory because you don't like me? <laughs> Guess where I'm going. <laughs> Guess where you're going. <laughs> I win. Bring it on, man. Our unification is part of our strength in Christ and the Word of the God is the foundation for that unity Always, We look at verses 17 to 19. This is still in chapter 12. We're going to see that lawfulness is always the best policy, right? I mean, that makes sense. Now, speeding to church, if you're late, uh, you might get a waiver on that one. But lawfulness is always the best policy. Always be peaceful. We're called to it. And don't ever take revenge on people who hate us for our faith or come for us because of our faith. In verse 18, what we're going to see is, if possible... So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. And man, it's like, so I backed up from chapter 13, who's basically like, submit yourselves. But people don't like to back up to the left in the book. And what Paul's like, yeah, sometimes it's going to be hard to be peaceful. So, you know, if you can... At all cost, I'd like you to be peaceful. I'd like to have been in the room when he written this, so I could have been like, um, where's the line? Like, you just drew a line, but does it move a little bit? So Paul's like, look, I want you to do your best to be as peaceful as you can. Really what he's given us is not carte blanche to not be peaceful, but he's like, look, bad stuff's going to happen. Don't be a sissy. I don't think the word's and sissies in the Bible anywhere, but I, can, I see it between the lines. See, there's a point where peace is just not possible, and we know that. It's never for our own glory, and it's never for revenge. We don't get anything out of it. It must be in the name of safety of the church, its members, women, children, and to perpetuate peace by eliminating a threat. <coughs> in 20 to 21 be peaceable to our enemies. Remember, these aren't wartime enemies. We're not talking about being in a battle. We're talking about the spiritual battle. So we have enemies within our community. People who hate Jesus. Those are our enemies. right? Capture that word enemy for a second. We're not standing across the field from each other firing muskets. These are people that you work with who hate Jesus. These are people who look down on you because you love Jesus. Enemies. right? We love them like you'd love somebody in your family who's not a believer. They're enemies of God. It's not up to us to take vengeance against them or tell them they're going to go somewhere or to pass judgment on them. What they have waiting on them at the end is much worse than they could dole out to you anyway. There's just no way. There's no way you can do something worse than what God can do. So what we're, do, what we're to do is call and love them that they may receive the call from Christ and be saved. That's what we do. That's When we're peaceful, that's what they see. We need to expect that tribulation in our government, local authorities, and our church. We need to expect it. Turn with me to Matthew 24, and we're going to finish. We've had you here for an hour already. So go to Matthew 24. I'll give you just a second to get there. If you'll give me a second to get there. And we're going to look at verses 9 to 14. Matthew 24, starting in verse 9. Now, the disciples have just asked Jesus some some questions. And if if you've got a red-letter Bible, uh, everything in here except for the side notes is red. So Jesus, he has sat them down. They are getting a lesson. So in 24, in verse 9, we'll read through verse 14. Jesus' words say this. Then they will deliver you to tribulation. For those of you who believe you'll be rescued from tribulation, this is a good verse for you. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all Nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness has increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Amen christians now is the time for endurance endurance in love endurance in service and endurance in the truth this is the call that paul has for us in this in romans 13 we're not called to be simpletons we're not called to be ignorant morons we're called to be fervent in the word of christ Educated in the Word of God, studied up, prayed up, prepared to get out there and reach into the darkness, serve and love one another and others so that people can see that in us and come to Him. The hard part of this is, as Jesus says here, it's just going to keep getting harder for you, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder to the point where they hunt you down and kill you. Look, shortly after this message, what happens to all the apostles? Jesus dies, they all collect. They're like, oh man, we don't know what to do now. He said he was going to die, but is he really going to come back? And then poof, Jesus is back, and they're like, oh Lord, here you are. Okay, you are God. And then he walks with them for 40 days, and then Jesus leaves on a cloud, and they're like, oh man, we're by ourselves. They got the Holy Spirit and they go start preaching and they are fervent they are killing it they are out there pushing hard they are like you need him you need him or you are going to die and go to hell you need him you need him you need him and what does the government do it hunts them and kills them and executes them except for John who gets stuck on Patmos until he's an old man probably would have been nicer to get killed if you don't think they're going to hate you and hunt you, you're, you're in the wrong church. This is the Christian church where Jesus said they're going to hate you and hunt you. Why? Because the evil one is lurking around just finding a reason. He's coming. It is up to us to be strong. It is up to us to be, as I said, read up and prayed up and ready. We need to be serving hard. People need us people need us because they need Jesus Christ. Because we bring the good news, the gospel. We bring hope and salvation from where they are now. So that's my encouragement to you this week. Pray on that. Read through chapter 12 of Romans and contemplate and pray on it. Side note. My grandmother gave me a book that has the history of my father's side of the family. Um, Many years ago, I was a kid, and it it was typed. It was a huge book. Somebody sat down and typed this thing. The first person listed in that book as my oldest known relative in my line through my father and my grandmother is Donald Cargill presbyterian pastor martyred for his faith pray with me father we thank you for bringing us here this morning to study your word we thank you for this amazing nation that we live in where we are free free to share ideas free to share our faith free to serve one another there's not a day that goes by where I can't give of myself something for somebody Because we are so rich that we can't even see it ourselves. We just thank you for this opportunity to live in a place where, at the moment, we are not held down by the oppression of government. We ask, Lord, that you just keep us strong as times change. We know, Lord, by your promise, things will get worse. We just ask, Lord, through your Holy Spirit that you continue to strengthen our hearts, strengthen our minds, and importantly, Lord, strengthen our resolve that we will continue to be a light on the hill in our community, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family, and especially, Lord, loving, caring, and serving to our church family right here at home we again Lord lift up those in our congregation who are not feeling well that you'd return them to us healed, renewed and ready to be a part of our body and ask that you continue to work in our great country that as a nation we are still a nation that people look to as a place of solitude rest and safety and even for our new president That you would guide him, his heart, his decisions, Lord, that they would bring you glory. That they would be useful for your plan for our salvation. We ask for all of our blessings and all of our healings in the name of our great creator and our precious savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.